says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Let's look at verse 12 as well. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And Father, we humbly ask for the help and grace of your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we open the word of God as an act of worship. Now we pray, help each one of us, and you know what that means for each person in this room this morning to have a receptive heart to what the voice of the Spirit of God would need to say to us in a personal way this morning through the Word of God. So we ask now, speak, Lord, by your Spirit's ministry, and we pray that expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, the power of human reasoning alone is not sufficient to arrive at true spiritual understanding. Important to remember that we need supernatural revelation from God by the power of his Holy Spirit and able to really see things as we should. In fact, one of the greatest examples of that came from the words of Jesus. If you remember in John chapter 3 where he was speaking to Nicodemus, who was a very religious man, knew the scriptures well intellectually, but Jesus actually told him, He said that you will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. In other words, there needed to be that spiritual experience of being born spiritually to start a life with God in the realm of the spirit in order for Nicodemus, Jesus literally said, to be able to see the kingdom of God. It wasn't until he was born again that, if you would, the lights came on and then he actually could see the things of God and the things of the kingdom properly. Now, The remainder of chapter 2, as well as our text today, is addressing really this very reality. If you remember the background, Paul has been cautioning the believers regarding the danger of relying too much upon human wisdom, or we might say the wisdom of men. He's used both of those terms in the prior verses. And human wisdom, or the wisdom of men, is basically the mental reasoning capacities or the ideas of people to be able to think through things and reach conclusions about matters which are divine, matters which are uh, spiritual, eternal. And look, as smart, as wise as men can be, and God's given us an incredible capacity in this chunk of meat up here within our skull to critically think through things, to process things, but yet the wisdom of men can always still be flawed. Because human logic, you have to understand, is limited as well as the fact that we're in a fallen condition because of sin. And so therefore, human wisdom can always be flawed. In fact, quite honestly, human logic can even hold us back spiritually sometimes. It can actually be the thing that runs interference. Now, Paul did not want them to think he was putting a premium on ignorance. 
that if somehow it was more spiritual or better to be ignorant and unlearned, that's not what he's trying to say, or that he was refusing the principle of learning or there was any downside to academics or that even there was no wisdom or deeper truths to be understood in regards to the things of God. The problem is we just need the right kind of wisdom. Paul's going to say God's wisdom that comes as a revelation supernaturally from the Spirit himself. Paul said last time, though I didn't use human wisdom, he said to persuade you into believing. He now goes on, verse 6, to say, however, we speak wisdom, he says, among those who are mature. Notice Paul did communicate wisdom. He said, I just didn't use human wisdom to persuade you into believing, but he says, I did impart wisdom. Notice yet it was shared, he says, with those who were viewed as mature. Now, when we think of the word mature or maturity, we're speaking of someone who's fully developed and has reached an advanced stage in a process. That's true in just a biological sense. Those who are mature have a capacity that an immature person does not yet possess. Uh, And because they have that maturity, mature people can handle things that immature people cannot. That's true in a natural sense. Well, Paul here is using this idea in a spiritual sense, speaking of those who are spiritually mature and who've reached an advanced stage in a process of spiritual development. That is, their spiritual understanding has developed to a place where they're able to receive the things of God and they're open to their understanding of the things of Christ. You might say perhaps they've come into a relationship with Jesus at this point, and they're now a person who's longing to know and to understand the things of God. They've come to that place of maturity, of actually encountering Christ. They've been brought to that place, and they are hungry now to understand more. So they possess a spiritual capacity to receive things from God, to grasp spiritual truths to understand things that are eternal. They've been ripened and they're ready to hear what God wants them to hear and to see what God wants them to see, particularly regarding divine wisdom and how we should operate it by it. Now, as Paul in verse six there uses the word wisdom, understand there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is facts and information. Wisdom is the quality of exercising judgment in a discerning way in your decision-making and when you're handling affairs. For example, you can have someone who's very intelligent and knows a lot of facts, and yet they live like a fool. You also can have someone who maybe isn't that educated, and they're a very wise person in the way they live and process their decisions. You know, they use a lot of, you might say, common sense wisdom in the way they operate. So wisdom is taking information and applying it to one's choices. It's that process whereby we view how we operate in matters with what information we have. That's exercising wisdom. And as I said, some people can operate in a good way. They use godly wisdom and good reasoning, and they make healthy decisions in their life. Other people, honestly, can utilize inferior wisdom that stems from human reasoning alone, which can often be misguided. In fact, you notice that Paul says the wisdom he was sharing in verse 6 With those who are spiritually mature, he goes on to say in verse 6 there, look at it. Yet, he says, this wisdom we're sharing is not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Notice he says, we're not sharing with people the wisdom of this age. 
That is the wisdom of this world system, how the world out there thinks and the ideologies it holds and how it operates. And the reason is because the wisdom of this age is directed with ideas that stem from what the Bible refers to as the God of this age, God in a little g. And the God of this age, the ruler of this age, the Bible teaches, is the devil. And so, therefore, the wisdom of this present age is rooted in a mindset, really, which is centrically around the worship of self, which is the same thing the devil wanted from the beginning to idolize and exalt himself. And so the the wisdom of this age is centered upon what man wants. In fact, in James chapter 3, it refers to that. It says this, if you harbor bitterness, envy, and self-seeking in your hearts, this wisdom, that way of functioning, this wisdom, he says, does not descend from above. But that is earthly, that is, it's of this world. It's sensual, that is, it's of your humanity, your feelings. You're being driven and led by your feelings. And he says, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion, disorder, and every evil thing are there. So take notice, the Bible says there are other sources of wisdom than God's wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom, how everybody in the world thinks and operates. There's a sensual wisdom, that is where we are making our decisions and behaving and acting and choosing by our feelings and our own perspectives and how we think something should or shouldn't be. That's sensual wisdom. And then there's even demonic wisdom, where the devil himself is perpetrating ideas and ways of thinking that are just destructive. And he says it's always bad fruit when that is going on. So again, remember, the ideologies of this world oftentimes are not rooted in the ways of God. And this is what Paul is trying to caution against. And so the spiritually mature person must be aware of this so they don't embrace the wisdom of this age. To be spiritually mature is to be able to discern between right and wrong and say, you know what, that's kind of the way the world does things. I'm not going to operate that way. And you kind of see that distinction in your spiritual maturity. Notice Paul also says there in verse 6, we're also not endorsing wisdom, he says, verse 6, that comes from the rulers of this age. That is those in places of power and rulership over people in the society. Again, as it was in that day with the Roman Empire, rulers may promote ideas and reasoning on matters that are civil, on matters that are about morality from their perspective, even matters that are religious, and they're seeking to provide guidance and governance to human beings, which they think may be best for them, but just because they hold positions of rulership in a society does not mean their reasoning is correct, nor does it mean that their judgments are healthy or the way that God would want things to be determined on our behalf. And so we need to be careful that we don't just automatically embrace ideas and perspectives that come through as legislation or ideas promoted from somebody who has a platform as a political leader or some other rulership position because their decision-making, God says, may be distorted. It may be incorrect. They may have many different ulterior motives and purposes why they're deciding them things. And just because someone is a ruler does not mean that everything they say is accurate or that every idea they have is healthier, most beneficial for us. And many times the present rulers of this age have very flawed mindsets. 
They have skewed perspectives that are coming from an idea that is not originating from God. Rulers of men can use very poor judgment in how they handle affairs. And sadly, because they have influence, they can misguide a whole lot of people. So that's why the spiritually mature, yes, we need to be respectful. Yes, we're to be submissive to a degree and cooperative, but we can't always just automatically subscribe to the reasoning of the rulers of this age because that can lead us sometimes in unhealthy directions. You notice Paul even says at the end of verse 6, the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age, their ideas, he says, are coming. Look what he says, verse 6, the end. It's coming to nothing. The idea is it's not even going to last. It's a faulty system. They are flawed by sin's deception, and it's all going to fail ultimately. It's coming to nothing, God says. Now, this is important for us to remember. All of men's ideas, hear me, and every, and I stress the word every, and every politician's ideas are not going to solve humanity's problems. I think we should vote intelligently. We should vote biblically. We should vote morally. Absolutely. But we need to know in the end, I hate to break the bubble, it's not going to work. No person in political office, no party, no platform has the solution that is necessary to fix this world. The system's broke in more ways than one. It's a broken, corrupting, failing system that one day is going to resolve in nothing. It's defiled and temporary, and God's word says it's just passing away. It's passing away. And so it's important for us to remember that, that because it's going to be done away with, we have to live with that level of understanding in how much we ultimately rely on the system of this world and how we properly relate to it. Notice Paul now speaks of contrasting eternal wisdom that he was sharing in contrast to worldly wisdom that comes from people in the world and rulers of this age. He says, verse 7, look, he says, but we speak, notice the wisdom different of God. Wisdom that had a way of reasoning in its source that came from an all-wise God who doesn't get voted in and out of office and who's been around for all of eternity and always will be. A God who knows everything, who actually has a perfect eternal plan he's orchestrating, and God's wisdom is much higher in its reasoning than the wisdom of the greatest of men on this earth. And it brings us into experiencing God. Notice the wisdom of God is an eternal wisdom. He goes on, verse 7, to say that it was given, notice, in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. You take notice of that word mystery there in the Bible. It shows up in the New Testament multiple times. The word mystery doesn't mean necessarily, as we might naturally think, mysterious. Usually we hear the word mystery, and right away we think of something mysterious. The idea is it's hard to figure out. It's kind of cryptic. Well, the Bible doesn't use the word mystery, mysterion in the Greek in that way. That word mystery speaks of something that was once hidden for a time, but now it's been revealed. The best way I could illustrate it would be uh, the unveiling, let's say, of a statue. You go to the unveiling of a statue, you can tell something's there, but there's a, you know, a drape or a cloth or a sheet draped over it. And then at a certain point, they pull away the sheet. And now, which was there and was once kind of hidden and you couldn't see it clearly, now it's clearly seen. It was always there, but once you reveal it, the mystery, the revelation, oh, now I see what that is. So it's something that was once hidden, but now has been made known 
and more clear. God's wisdom created his plan of salvation, and for a time it wasn't fully evident exactly how God was going to bring that to pass. And this is what Paul is alluding to. He says, but it was something that God ordained, he says, verse 7. The idea is you might say predetermined his plan to save mankind has always been in his heart and in his mind for all of time and eternity. Even before the foundation of this world and humanity was created, God has always had a perfect plan to save mankind from their sin and rebellion and to give them the opportunity to have the gift to go to heaven And it's been his desire to reconcile a fallen world back to himself and give relationship to them. And again, if you listen to how Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter Peter 1, it says this. He says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest revealed in these last times for you so that through him, you might believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. See, God has always had a plan to bring salvation, but the the way you might say, or how God was going to accomplish that verse seven says it was kind of hidden for a time. But then ultimately, God brought to pass and made it more fully clear exactly how he was going to save people in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God made it evident he would save mankind, but it wasn't revealed until Jesus came in the flesh, being God fully and man fully simultaneously in touch with divinity, in touch with humanity, to be able to bring the past this incredible process of saving mankind so that the eternal God could be just and holy and also at the same time become the justifier of all those who would believe in his son Jesus Christ in what he did for us. Colossians 1 says, This mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God would accomplish what he would through Jesus and even allow the very Lord Jesus Christ to come and live within us, give us personal relationship and dwell within us as our Savior and our Lord. And notice God's plan of his wisdom to save us was always for our benefit because you notice he says the end of verse seven, he says it was always intended for our glory. That is, it was always intended to bring us into the glorious experiences of spiritual and eternal life. The culmination of our life being ushered into the glory of heaven once this difficult time on earth is past. In Romans 8, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And it was always intended in God's heart to bring this to pass for us, but it wasn't until Christ came, it all became obvious exactly how God's plan was intended to unfold. Now notice, regarding God's wise and glorious plan of salvation through putting faith in Christ, Paul says, however, verse 8, which, notice, none of the rulers of this age knew. Now, those who were supposed to be leading people in society, notice, were unaware what the people actually needed for most. The Roman civil leaders who governed in this day, the land politically, 
They did not perceive what God was doing through Christ. They were ruling the nation politically, but they had no idea what people really needed most spiritually. Even the rulers of that age religiously, the established religious rulers, the Sanhedrin among the Jews, they did not recognize the Lord Jesus for who he was when he came. They did not realize, sadly, why Jesus came. And those directing society, the rulers of that age, didn't understand God's ways. They were the greatest of men, but their natural reasoning capacities and their own humanity were flawed. For it goes on to say in verse 8, because they didn't know, he says, for had they known, understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Take notice, because they didn't understand what God was doing, bringing salvation through Christ, they committed probably, you might say, the worst crime in all of human history. They mistreated, they rejected, they disgraced, they tortured. Worse than that, they killed the very Lord of glory. Their lack of spiritual perception caused them to make horrible decisions that led to brutally crucifying the very Son of God. Their inability to see clearly God's way caused them to be guilty of horrible error in their reasoning. And look, it's a good reminder for all of us because our failure at times to know God's ways or relying on just human reasoning alone can result for you and I as well, any one of us, in the same way as those rulers, in making horrible decisions that disgrace the Lord. You know, how many of us in this room this morning can think of horrible decisions we made before we genuinely were enlightened spiritually and knew the Lord? And because we didn't know God's ways, we did some really foolish, harmful, and destructive things because we were living blind and living in the dark. And whenever anyone doesn't have clearly an understanding of God and his ways, they lack understanding and it will cause us to miss the presence of God, to miss the plan of God, to make decisions at times that can be poor, that dishonor the Lord and hurt ourselves and others. Now, the amazing thing, if you really think it through, however, is God is so wise. God is so wise in his ways of working, he can take the worst, listen, the worst of human decisions, like even crucifying the son of God, and he can still take the worst human decisions and bring them together and use them for his ultimate purposes in the end. What an amazing thing. God did it with putting to death Jesus. And you know what? Maybe you've made some really horrible decisions. You're thinking, oh, that decision is gonna wreck and ruin the rest of my life. Listen, give God time. You just submit yourself to the Lord and give God time. And God has ways in his wisdom to take the worst foolish human decisions and somehow still helpfully bring them about for our benefit or his ultimate plan in the end. Now, referring to human reasoning being insufficient to grasp God's ways, that's why he says, verse nine, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now he's quoting a principle here from Isaiah chapter 64. A lot of times we hear this verse, maybe at a funeral or people who are trying to put our reflection upon the wonderful things God's prepared for us when we get to glory. Well, in context, that's really not what this is talking about. What this is talking about in context is God's glorious plan of salvation 
and that though Jesus was right in the midst in that day of the people, though he was literally as God with them for many years, the natural eye couldn't see it, he's saying. The natural eye didn't see who Jesus was. The, the, the natural ear, as Jesus was speaking to people, as God in the flesh, God was literally speaking to people through Jesus, but the natural ear wasn't hearing the voice of God. And the natural heart of humanity was so hardened in its condition, they would not allow their hearts to be stirred by the Holy Spirit's conviction. That's why he's saying here, look, I has not seen, ear hadn't heard, nor was it entering into the heart of man, the things that God had prepared from eternity for those who would enter into a love relationship with him. Natural men couldn't perceive it, and so they rejected what God was doing because our natural reasoning is not sufficient. But notice what Paul says, verse 10, but, and that's important, God has revealed them, that is these things, to us through his spirit. So again, how did Paul the Apostle, how did the Corinthian Christians among this church, how do you and I then grasp spiritual truths? If your natural reasoning, your eyes, your ears, your own capacities can't come into spiritual understanding alone, how does it come to pass? Well, look, it's not by great intelligence or that one person is deeper in spiritual sensitivity than others. People do not just figure things out about God with their own human reasoning. It's not possible. We are dependent, listen, on supernatural intervention. That God, by his spirit, would open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts, and assist us in spiritual understanding. Do you see what Paul's saying in verse 10? These spiritual truths and realities, he says, God has, past tense, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. That's how we came to understand those things. It was a gracious act of God to reveal such understanding by supernatural revelation. It's God's spirit that gives to a person the ability to desire to see more. We are initially blind in our unbelief. We're living in the dark and our heart is hardened. But as God sees a small measure of willingness in a person's heart to want to see, to want to see, God, if it's, if it's real, I want to see it. I, I, I genuinely want to see it, God. Make it evident to me. That's when God then opens our eyes to see it. That's when God begins to open our ears to hear clearly when we genuinely want to hear his voice and his spirit softens our heart to accept things. You know, to me, this reminds us of a few things. First of all, very evidently that God must, in fact, God needs to reveal things by his spirit if we're ever to understand spiritual things. We're absolutely dependent upon God for supernatural revelation. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16. They were having a conversation. It says, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? What are they saying about me out there, Peter? He said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, having risen from the dead. Some think you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or maybe just one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to Peter, but who do you say that I am? That's always an important question. Who do you say Jesus Christ is for yourself? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said this to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, your humanity, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you just had a spiritual revelation. You understand who I now am, but that didn't come from natural reasoning. It came from a supernatural revelation. God, by his spirit, revealed to you who I truly am. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Look, let us always remember, folks, how much we deeply need the help of God's Holy Spirit to have spiritual revelation and understanding. It's not just academic. It's not. We need supernatural revelation. God, open my eyes, open my ears, show me, reveal things to me that I can't see on my own. And this also reminds me as well that God wants to reveal things to us spiritually. The very fact that it says he has revealed indicates to me that's the nature of God. He wants us to see more and more. God, by his spirit, wants to reveal things. Now, that, that's an encouraging in two ways. First of all, this morning, if you're not yet saved and you are still seeking this whole Christian thing, and I, I'm not sure, I want to understand, and, and, and you want to see if it's real, you want Jesus to make himself real to you, listen, if you're hungering to know, I assure you, he'll show himself to you. You ask, Lord, I want to see, I, I want to believe if it's true. I, if this is true, show me that it's real. You pray that prayer, I guarantee you, he will reveal himself to you. He will make it evident to you and convince your heart and help you see it in your eyes and hear his voice with your ears to the place where you know it is real. And I accept you, Jesus. I believe this for myself. He wants to reveal those things. And for even those of us who are already believers, how wonderful to know God wants to show us more and more. If God are revealed things about eternity to us and how to have a relationship with Christ, it is the heart of God to show you more and more and more. God wants to show you more. He wants to keep revealing things by his spirit to you and I, which is an encouragement to keep seeking God and learning more about him. You notice Paul goes on to say the end of verse 10, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. How interesting to hear that not only are there things of God to know, but verse 10 says that there are the deep things of God. That is, you might say the deeper things regarding God his ways, his purposes, the depth of all of God's attributes and his nature and his plans and how he works. There are certain things that are more obvious and evident, but then there are other things about a vast God that are much deeper and always able to be learned. You know, when we have relationships with people, we use terminology and say things like, I feel like we got a a little deeper I feel like we're getting to know each other on a deeper level where we might say, I feel like we really got deep in that last conversation. I feel like we're starting to really go deeper in our relate. Well, that's kind of the idea here. God is relational. And more than that, God is really deep. He is really, really deep. And so what a wonderful thing to know that it's the spirit who searches the deep things of God in order to be able to reveal those deeper things of God to you and I as we have relationship with him. But again, let me emphasize, this is why, folks, it's important that we have to be willing in humble faith to go beyond just academia. It's, look, this is not just a place where college lectures happen when you come to church. It's not just about give me more information. It's not about going home with all your study Bibles and all your helps and thinking it's just an academic exercise. No, listen, this is supernatural, man. 
Yes, academics and a brain is one thing, but we have to be open to an experience with the Holy Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God illuminate things and give us understanding in deeper ways. That's what he wants to do. He wants to reveal more and more to you and I. Look what Paul says, verse 11. He says, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? He's using an analogy. How a person's inward spirit, their human spirit, is the only place where everything about that person is known. For example, no one can truly know everything about me all my thoughts, all my feelings, all my motives, everything going on inside of me. Nobody can truly know everything going on inside of me in my spirit except me. And the only way anyone can know those things is if I reveal those things about myself to them. Well, he uses that as an analogy. Look what he says, verse 11. He says, verse 11, even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God, the same applies. If we think we're deep and complex, how deep is God? And so the Bible is saying no person can know about God by just surface evaluation alone. God must reveal himself to us. God must give us greater understanding. Only the spirit of God knows the things of God and all there is to know about God. And so he must give us revelation to explain things to us that we initially see for ourselves the things about God and come into a relationship with God because God opened our eyes. In the same way as we walk with the Lord and have a relationship with him, we need to be having an experience with God's spirit because he says there in verse 11, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. We need to be open to the spirit of God taking us into greater understanding. Now, it's a connection to where we go next week, but look at verse 12. He says, now we have received, that is Christians, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, this is why part of the salvation experience includes us being given the Holy Spirit to live within us. When a person receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible teaches we receive the very Spirit of God himself. He comes inside of us, and he lives within us. And he awakens us spiritually, and our human spirit becomes awakened to the things of God's Holy Spirit so that we can see and understand the ways of God that we might, he says, come to know what has been freely given to us by God. God wants us to know. God wants to show us more. You know, may God help us to be less influenced, folks, in our thinking by the spirit of this world and the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of media and the wisdom of the rulers of this age. May God help us instead to realize what we need is the wisdom of God, that God would reveal to us what is right, what is wrong, that God would reveal to us what is true and what is false that God would reveal to us things that we need to know to live by faith because the spirit of this world is pushing a lot of false information and it's promoting a whole lot of fearful information. And we need the wisdom of God that we might live by faith, that we might walk by faith and not by sight and operate in the way God calls us to. And look, God wants to reveal that to us. Let's spend more time seeking God's wisdom 
and less wisdom of the world around us. Let's stand.